This is Come and See from St. Andrew's Anglican Church for August 5th, 2012. The Gospel is taken from the book of John, chapter 6, verses 24 through 35. The message is by Father Ron Baird. In today's epistle, we hear Paul telling the church in Ephesus to speak the truth in love, that the whole body joined together may be built up, may grow up into the full stature of Christ. Speaking of the truth and love seems to be in short supply these days, doesn't it? And there's a real dilemma that it pervades our society. On the one hand, oftentimes we don't speak the truth because it might offend somebody, and heaven forbid that we would ever offend anybody, and so we can't tell them, and, and what we do instead is we just avoid them. You know, and, and we speak the truth sometimes, but not to them. We tell other people about it, as though that somehow or other would solve the problem, but it makes us feel better. And then the other side of it, though, is that sometimes if we did go to someone to speak the truth, we don't necessarily do it in love, do we? We don't say anything about it at all until we're angry, and then we speak it in anger. Now, it might be true, but when you say it in anger, it comes across quite differently, doesn't it? And then you have the recipient of it. We've gotten so used to being, you know, cut down and criticized that if someone comes to us to tell us something that we don't want to hear, what's our reaction? Anger, defensiveness, hurt. How could you tell me such a thing? And we have all kinds of... It's just become almost impossible to have an honest kind of dialogue. And, and we see it pervading not only in but with friends and co-workers and all, but it's even in our society. I mean, you know, this is a presidential election year. Would you say those ads are speaking the truth in love? Probably not. <laughs> and we only get two messages, really, if you think about what they say about it. One is that everybody who's running for office is lousy and shouldn't be elected. And the other one is, is that those people don't care what they do as long as they can get what they want. They'll say or do anything to win. Now, I wish that we could just blame them. That would be nice, wouldn't it? But if you've ever been in, on a busy street during rush hour, you know that that's not true. Everybody goes the same way on the roads, too. You know, really irritated about the way other people drive. And... And obviously, when they're making those gestures, they're speaking it in love, right? And civility in our society has just collapsed. And we've forgotten how to treat one another like human beings. We forgot that the people on the other side have real feelings. And we treat them like objects. Objects of scorn sometimes. If they're really lucky, we might do objects of pity. And if they give us what we want, they'll be objects of joy. But they're still objects. And as a result, what happens in our society is that everything starts to fall apart. Because we no longer can have real discourse, real conversation, 
we can only have a superficial level of conversation. How are you today? Well, I'm fine. Well, it's raining a lot. It's really hot, isn't it? I mean, we never really discuss real life. You know, is it any wonder that in our political arena that we can't solve the problems? We can't even talk about them without calling each other names. How are we supposed to solve them? Much less people are saying, well, what about this? I think this might work. But that doesn't go on. Now, it's not anything new. I mean, I'd like to think that we invented it, but we really didn't. But we see a couple of examples of it in the Old Testament lesson and in the gospel today. In the Old Testament lesson, Nathan has a problem. He's a prophet of God. God's told him the truth. I suspect Nathan would rather not have known the truth. But God says to him, you need to go and tell David the truth, that I know what he's done. I know that he had an affair with Bathsheba. I know that he had her husband murdered, you know, and I'm not blind. He has despised everything that I did for him. Now, if you're Nathan, that's not a good place to be. This guy has the power of life and death over everybody. All he has to do is say the word and your head's gone. And he gets to go visit. You ever wonder how many days it took him to get there? Well, when he comes in, he's trying to figure out, how in the world am I going to tell him this? Because I doubt if he thought David's going to be really happy with the news I'm about to tell him. So he thinks about it for a while. Now, what's interesting is that Nathan has had a long relationship with David. And so when he comes in, he says, I need to talk to you about a, 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 a judicial case. Because at that time, the king of Israel was also the judge. So if there was a, a court case that had to be brought, it went before him, and he decided what was to be done about it. And he knew that David was always a fair judge. And so he said, I, and there's a problem that I need for you to decide what to do with. And he goes, okay, what is it? He said, well, there's this really wealthy man. He has a neighbor who really didn't have anything. And the wealthy man has like all these herds and things. He's doing really well. And the poor guy, all he has is one little lamb that, that is actually more of a pet than anything else. Well, the, the rich guy has visitors come, <coughs> and he doesn't want to uh, slaughter one of his own sheep for, you know, so that they can have a feast. So what he does is he steals the other man's lamb, and he cooks it instead. David said, this is outrageous. You mean he, he's wealthy and he's got all this stuff and, and, and he steals this poor guy's one sheep? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, he ought to die for that. I mean, it's terrible. Now, he's not going to kill him. But he says, he has to pay him back four times. I mean, that, that's outrageous. He has to give him four sheep to make up for this. And then he asks the question that I suspect David wished he'd never asked, which is, who is this guy? Nathan says, you were the man. Now, what's interesting at that point, can you imagine what courage it took for Nathan to say, you are the man? He doesn't know what David's going to do. David may hit the roof. You know, he may explode. He may have him killed on the spot. And so just to make sure that he keeps the conversation moving along, he jumps in with, thus saith the Lord. You know, I just want to tell you, I got some word from the Lord. And he tells him these horrible things. Because you have despised me. 
after I did so much for you and gave you the kingdom of Israel itself and I gave you all of this wealth and all of these you know, loyal followers and all this stuff, and if that weren't enough, I'd have given you more. But you despise me by doing this terrible, terrible thing. And I tell you, what you have will be taken away and your own house will rise up against you. You'll lose your wives and concubines, and you'll lose your kingdom. Now, we know that that actually did happen because later in David's house, one of his sons rapes his half-sister. Then the other son goes and kills the first son. And then he exiles the son for killing the other one. And then he comes back with an army and runs David out of Jerusalem. I mean, it was just a mess. It takes over the kingdom. David finally comes back in. But, I mean, it's just turmoil all because of this thing. And David, in that moment, doesn't get defensive. What he says is, I've sinned against God. And not only does he admit to sinning against God, but he does it publicly. He wears sackcloth and ashes for months to repent. Now, the verse that comes after that is, because you have acknowledged your wrongdoing, you will not die. That's why the kingdom is not taken away. And we know David today, and goes down through Scripture, as a man after God's own heart. Now, it wasn't because David was such a nice guy. I mean, nice guys don't send people to get murdered. It was because he was willing to own up to what he had done and to realize that Nathan was speaking the truth to him in love, not to tear him down, but to build him up. What do you think would have happened if David had killed Nathan? I doubt if he'd ever gotten back. (laughs) He'd lost everything. And what's interesting is what goes on to happen from that. Do you know who David goes on and he's still married to Bathsheba? I mean, that's all kind of done now. But he has another son later. Do you know who that son is? Solomon, the wisest king that Israel ever had. And so even out of this evil can come redemption if we're willing to acknowledge it. And so... It took two sides, though. It took somebody who was willing to go speak the truth, caringly, not hatefully, and someone who was willing to hear it, didn't it? We see the same thing in today's gospel lesson with Jesus. Jesus has just done the feeding of the 5,000, which they thought was great, um, and he, he's gone now. And so they go, they go looking for him. And when they find him, they say, when did you come here? Now, do you think they really wanted to know when he came there? They didn't care when he came there. They followed him. And Jesus says to them, Truly I tell you. So we know he's going to speak the truth, don't we? He says, You didn't come here because of the signs. You came here because you ate your fill. And you're looking for another free meal. Now, sometimes as Christians, we're like that too, aren't we? We forget that we're here to serve God. And said, we want God to serve us. We want to know what God's willing to give us. And, and we go seeking him so we can get what we want. 
not so that we can give him what he wants. But Jesus isn't just speaking the truth. He's also doing in love because what he goes on to tell them is that if you knew who you were talking to, you would seek the bread that never ends. And he goes on to tell them about the bread of life. And we'll have more to say about that next week as that passage goes on. But again, the truth that he was speaking to him wasn't saying, you bunch of hypocrites, you're all awful. You didn't care about me. You just you didn't care where I went. All you want's food. You know, what makes you think I'm going to give you dinner every time you show up? Be more like what we do, wouldn't it? So if we want to build up the body, if we want to build up the church, if we want to build up our families, if we want to build up our society, we got to begin to learn to speak the truth in love. And to do that, there's some steps we have to take. First of all, before you go tell somebody the truth, ask yourself a question. Why do I need to tell them this? What is my purpose? Is it to make me feel better? Is it because they deserve it? Is it because I'm not going to let them get away with it? Do any of those things do anything to help the other person? They just tear them down, don't they? And when we go to talk to somebody and tell them the truth, particularly the truths that they don't want to hear, we need to ask ourselves, why are we doing it? What is our real motive in this? What do we hope to have accomplished by doing this? Is this because we care about them? Is this truth going to help them? Or is it going to hurt them? Now, what's interesting about it is that it's a little tricky, isn't it? Oftentimes, the truth hurts before it heals. But we like to say, they need to know it for their own good. Anytime you say for your own good, that doesn't mean for their good. I can tell you, they need to know it for my good is what you're really saying. Because I want them to know how wretched it is. And if we do that, then we're not speaking the truth in love. We're speaking the truth in anger. We're speaking the truth to play gotcha or to tear you down. And when we do that, guess what happens on the other side? They don't feel any better and they get defensive. So how do we know if we're speaking the truth in love? Well, we know we're speaking the truth in love when our real goal in talking to them and telling them the truth is to help them to build them up, to build up the relationship, to make things better. You know, it's amazing how much easier it is to hear hard things if we know that the person is only telling us because they care. I mean, you can, do, you can go up to somebody and say, man, your breath really stinks. And you can say it in one of two ways, can't you? You can say, Man, your breath really stinks. Like, get away from me. It's awful how terrible that is. Or you can go up to them and say, I've noticed that you've been having a lot of problems, you know, with, with an odor from your mouth, from the breath. I mean, there's something, have you checked that out? There's something going on with you. <laughs> Give them a bottle of this for you. But who's that for? <laughs> Probably for you. I mean, and the difference is, is what's the goal? Why do I do it? Do I do it lovingly because I really care? Or do I do it because I just want to let them know that they're not good enough or they're not measuring up? 
On the other side of it, though, it's also very important that if we're going to have people come and speak the truth to us, then we have to be willing to listen, don't we? We can't immediately jump to the conclusion that they are out to get me. Because the truth is, is that not everybody is out to get you. It may seem like it, but that's not true. And sometimes we need to listen to the facts and let the hurt be in the background. To realize that, yes, we are less than what we should be. And the reason why this person's talking to me about it is because they care and they want me to, to be better. They don't want me to stay unhealthy. Now, imagine what the world would be like if people could really do that. Imagine what it would be like if people spent more time caring and helping and less time criticizing and demeaning. It'd be quite different, wouldn't it? Imagine what it would be like if the world were a place where when we went to speak the truth, we went and told the person, not somebody else. I mean, can you imagine you know, the presidential debates are coming up in September, October? Can you imagine if, if all they do is repeat what's in their commercials? That'd be pretty good. It'd be like Jerry Springer. I mean, <laughs> it'd be a big fight. But cage match, you know. I mean, that's... But that's what we've devolved into, and that's what happens when we lose this important um, skill of speaking the truth in love. When all we do is avoid conflict or beat people up with it, is our whole society devolves into chaos. And we see that when a man walks into a, 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 a theater and shoots people. Somebody need to talk to that young man a long time before then. I mean, probably years. Because he didn't get there all, you know, he didn't just wake up one day and say, hey, I think I'm going to do this. And there was a long series of isolation in his life that made him capable of walking into a room full of people and not seeing them as people at all. And that's what our world's become. That's what our politicians are doing. When they fight, that's what the church does when we gossip and backbite and don't like the other people around. That's what our workplaces do when, you know, worker is fighting against management or against one another. That's what our families do when we're constantly, you know, you know, sarcastic and ridiculing one another. That's what we're doing is we're just tearing down the body. And then we wonder, whatever happened to the good old days? What happened to the good old days was us. Because it starts with us. Now, we do know of examples where people speak the truth in love. I suspect all of us has had a, a parent, a mother, a father, somebody who would tell us things that we didn't like very much when they told us. But now we do know that they did it because they cared. They weren't really trying to beat us up. They wanted better for us. Well, if we know that that builds us up and makes us stronger then why is it that we are so reluctant to do it? I don't know if you've been watching the Olympics or not, but Michael Phelps is an interesting story. I don't know if you know, but after the, the last Olympics, he, he quit swimming. He wasn't interested in swimming anymore. He just quit. 
He was tired of it. Remember, I got in some trouble too. And when he got arrested, or it wasn't arrested, I guess, but a picture was taken of him, put on a magazine of him doing illegal things. A friend of his came and said, Michael, what are you doing? You know, you're messing up your whole life. You know, you're not swimming anymore. You're not working out. You know, you have this incredible gift, and you're doing nothing with it. What's going on? And do you know that turned him around? That's what caused him to get back into his routine to start working again. I know what happened to me when I was in the 10th grade. I took a class called TV English. It was interesting. We had um, like 500 sophomores in high school who sat in an old Quonset hut. You remember Quonset huts, the big kind of dome things? And they had televisions at the very front of every row. Every row was 20 uh, desks long. And I was in the back. And it was, we were on double sessions. And so I was at school and they had this first period, which was at 6.30 in the morning, in the winter. You all know what a morning person I am anyway. And so I'm sitting here and we have this guy talking about the books like The Lord of the Flies. I have to say I caught up on my rest a lot. But in those days when you'd get your report card, you'd, you'd collect your report card in homeroom and then you would take it to each class and the teacher would put the grades in it. Um, and then they'd give it back to you and then you go on to the next class. So um, third period, I had humanities. Now, first period, I had TV English, and I got an F because I thought it was a total waste of my time, which it may well have been, and so I just didn't do anything, didn't turn in anything. I didn't care, and so, I mean, because after all, I was 15 years old. I was smart. I mean, I didn't need them. Anybody thinks you're going to put you in a dark room with a TV and bore you to death, stay awake at 6.30 in the morning or 7 or whatever it was, then they're crazy. Well, uh, Mr. Condor was my humanities teacher. World history, I guess, is what it was. And um, he also taught humanities later. And so I go to his class, and I've got this nice little F on my report card. And um, he fills out the report cards, and after he gets them filling them all out, he hands them all out except for mine. And I'm wondering, you know, why didn't he give me mine back? And so he says, Ronnie, come here, I want to talk to you. So he takes me out in the hall and uh, over to the water fountain. And I don't know why he took me to the water fountain, but took me to the water fountain. And he said, what is going on? What do you mean? He said, you've got an F here. I said, yeah. I said, well, 